I'm Daisy. And I'm Terry. And this is the Monday Monday Mindset Mindset Podcast, Podcast. where we share things of interest to us and hopefully to you. So let's get started with episode number 107. And this week, it's Daisy's turn to share something with us from Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart. Daisy, what's your topic for the week? Well, Terry, we are going on to chapter 11. So following on nicely from last week. And the title of this chapter is Places We Go When Life is Good. So I feel like we're moving towards the end of the book. We're going from some of the more uncomfortable topics into some of the nicer ones. Oh, I don't we know. talking about love last week. <laughs> I was just looking last night. If I do chapter 12... <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what I yeah, I think it goes downhill again, yeah, it doesn't does. it? <laughs> Let me just look. Places we go in life is bad. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Chapter twelve, yeah. Places we go when we feel wronged, anger, contempt, disgust, dehumanization, <laughs> hate, and self-righteousness. So I thought, hmm, if I follow Daisy's week, she gets the fun, light one, and then I get the drudgery of all of those difficult feelings. Oh, that was a big one. And yes, dehumanization. That might be one that we skip and leave the listeners to go and listen to for themselves. I seem to remember it was one of those big topics that delves into all sorts of things like racism and stuff. I seem to remember it being a pretty heavy going chapter. But this one's quite light. This one talks about joy, happiness, calm, contentment, gratitude, foreboding joy, a little bit of, uh, what's that, relief and tranquility. And I have to confess, as I was making my notes just before we started recording, I ran out of time. So we will sort of taper off towards the end there. But really, the heavy hitters are at the beginning and the things certainly that interest me most are at the beginning. And she starts off with a Dolly Parton quote, actually. And I wish you joy and happiness, but above all this, I wish you love. And she tells a little anecdote about Dolly Parton and Whitney Houston and how she was blown away, basically, by Whitney's rendition of her song, I Will Always Love You, in the uh, Bodyguard film, of course. But, little aside there, but that was... Brene Brown's segue into talking about joy and happiness and really talking about how we need them both, but we do experience them in very different ways. So she starts off by talking about joy and some definitions and joy is usually sudden, unexpected, tends to be short lasting, high intensity emotion, whereas happiness is a bit more stable, longer lasting, and normally the result of some effort. Joy is characterized by a connection with others or with God, nature, the universe, something bigger than ourselves, basically. Whereas Happiness tends to be lower in intensity than joy and is more self-focused. And when we experience happiness, we more feel like we're in control. 
Joy is more internal, whereas happiness feels more about external things and circumstances. But joy expands our thinking and attention and fills us with a sense of freedom and abandon. And she quotes someone called Anne Robertson, who describes joy as being the good mood of the soul. And Brene Brown's definition of joy is an intense feeling of deep spiritual connection, pleasure and appreciation. Um, she quotes somebody else called Matthew Quan Johnson, who says that it's really difficult to articulate. It pushes the boundaries of our ability to communicate the lived experience of joy via the spoken language. And he hypothesizes that cultures that have more words to describe joy experience joy more richly, which I thought was interesting. And with joy comes a sort of heightening of our senses and we can often find ourselves smiling involuntarily. She goes on to talk about joy and gratitude and the relationship between them, which uh, she describes as an intriguing upward spiral. And she comes back to, if you remember, I think probably the first episode we were talking about, she defined state and trait. State is experience, trait is part of me, she says, easy way to distinguish between them. But this intriguing upward spiral of the relationship between joy and gratitude, if you have trait gratitude, so it's a part of you, it predicts greater future experiences of in-the-moment joy. This makes sense, right? Um, you prime yourself to look for these moments. I think it was the first episode we recorded, was it, when I talked about gratitude journals? And then trait joy predicts greater future experiences of in-the-moment gratitude. So you can see how one triggers the other, triggers the other, triggers the other, and you get this intriguing upward spiral. And situational joy predicts greater future subjective well-being. So all good things, basically, and all spiraling up. But she says you can also experience this upward spiral by practicing it. So going with this state rather than trait. So basically, don't worry if it's not a part of you yet. You can make it a part of you by practicing. Going back to episode one and gratitude journals. And then she goes on to talk, not at any great length, about happiness. She says it's very difficult to pin down. It's one of these things that research and data struggles to really pin down. And she talks again about this, um, you know, is it more of a trait than a state? And some of the definitions that come out of the research is that it's pleasure often related to our immediate environment and circumstances. She expresses some caution here that the pursuit of happiness might just get in the way of joy and gratitude. And she goes on to talk about calm and defines calm as creating perspective and mindfulness while managing emotional reactivity. 
And she talks about calm people as being able to bring perspective to complicated situations and experience their feelings without reacting to heightened emotions. I always think of you as being a very calm person. (laughs) Yeah, I was really intrigued during her discussion of this because I've been told that before and I think of myself as a fairly calm person. And her description of it reminded me It doesn't mean that the things aren't bubbling under the surface and that there aren't emotions that are being managed, Mm -hmm. but it's about having that perspective, like you said, and and being able to have those emotional responses without necessarily being reactive. And I hadn't really thought of it that way before. And I wonder if it's also one of those things where you can be much more calm when you're reflecting on somebody else's circumstances than your own. (laughs) That's something that she didn't talk about, but it's something that crossed my mind. I can be quite calm and collected and calming for other people, for my dogs. It's something certainly that I've practiced. You know, I remember reading, you can pass anxiety and not feelings of calmness down the lead. So it's very important, you know, so it's something Mm -hmm. I've worked on with my dogs and it's something that I've worked on with other people, but I don't necessarily feel that I react calmly to myself. So I wonder if there's a bit of a difference there. But she discusses again, you know, is this a trait or a state? And she says that there are behaviors that are specific to cultivating and maintaining calm. So again, if you're not sort of inherently a calm person, and she was saying that she isn't really, but she can practice being a calm person. And she talks about four different things, self-questioning, breath work, perspective taking, and curiosity. And she talks about how just like anxiety, calm is contagious. You can work on it as a practice using those different things, self-questioning, breath work, perspective taking, curiosity. And she goes on to talk about contentment, which I think has a, a big overlap with joy and gratitude. Well, not surprisingly, I suppose, if she puts it in the same chapter. Um, but whereas discontent... When you're feeling discontent, you want more. You have a desire that's never satisfied. When you have a feeling of contentment, you tend to think along the lines of, I already have everything that I really need. It's a feeling of satisfaction. It's a sense of enoughness. Our needs are satisfied. She says that emotions and these feelings of being tend to be described as low or high arousal and contentment is a low arousal but positive emotion. Feelings of contentment are positively correlated with greater life satisfaction and well-being and might even reverse the cardiovascular effects of negative emotion. And uh, one of these things, you, you always know when it's important to her because she says it twice <laughs> if you happen to be out and about and can't write it down. 71% of life satisfaction is measured by how satisfied you are with your life as a whole. So this sort of basically brings up the question, 
do you need to change? So if you if you don't have this feeling of contentment and satisfaction with your life as a whole, as it is now, do you need to change it? Do you need to go and get more of something? Or do you need to change how you perceive your experiences so that you can be more content? And this is where it circles back to gratitude and We've talked about this before, but she talks about how it's good for us physically, emotionally, mentally, so much research and data to support this. And it's um, positively correlated. It's correlated with um, better sleep, increased creativity, decreased entitlement, uh, decreased hostility and aggression, increase in decision making skills, decrease in blood pressure and on and on. But she she was asking the question, but, you know, but why? Why does it help so much? And she quotes a researcher called Robert Emmons, who says that positive emotions wear off quickly. Our emotional systems like novelty and change, and we adapt to positive life circumstances. This is where this whole needing more all the time business comes in. But gratitude makes us appreciate the value of something. And when we appreciate the value of something, we extract more benefits from it. We're less likely to take it for granted. Gratitude allows us to participate more in life. We notice the positives more and that magnifies the pleasure you get from life. Instead of adapting to goodness, we celebrate goodness. And he says that we then become participants rather than spectators of our lives. And she says that in general, she tends to just scroll past inspirational memes. But there was one that was around this subject of adapting to goodness that caught her I, and it's along the lines of uh, remember the day when you prayed for the things that you have now. I've seen this coming up in some form when people are talking about their disappointment with um, weight loss, for example. And that's something that I reminded myself of when, you know, I was going through my weight loss journey. And, you know, it's all too easy, isn't it, to get into that more, more, more mentality and to forget how far you've come. And yes, if you could go back to the start, <laughs> how happy would you be with where you are now when you're sitting in this feeling of not being content? with where you are now, but just thinking all the time about where you're going. And I know that's something you've talked about before. I think that's also important in thinking of it this way, because people think, why is it that we have a harder time connecting with the positives and holding on to them? And just again, evolutionarily, our need to avoid danger is first and foremost to survive. Mm. And generally, that has nothing to do with joy and positivity. It means you escaped the rock falling on your head or the tornado or the beast chasing you. So we pay more attention to those things, the danger, the threat. And so now, now that we're learning so much about the positive health benefits of the, the positive things in our lives, 
we have to work on paying attention to them. We have to work on celebrating them because our, our mind is not as focused on them as it is on the threats and danger. Mm. No, exactly. And that's often, I would, I guess that's where the, the hard work of happiness comes in, in this, I guess that's more this sort of, she talks about the low arousal status. It's uh, the happiness is the more sort of stable thing, but that's one of the things I mentioned right at the beginning about it taking a bit more work. But she talks about this adapting to goodness without feeling gratitude as being a function of scarcity. She says that we either want things for the wrong reasons, then feel disappointed when we get them, or we can't accumulate enough to feel whole. So you accumulate and you adapt and never really valuing or appreciating. And that phrase, you need to stop and smell the roses, came to my mind that we don't do that enough. We're always just forward, forward focus. And her definition of gratitude is that it's an emotion that reflects our deep appreciation for what we value, what brings meaning to our lives and what makes us feel connected to ourselves and others, but that we need to make it a practice to experience its full power. And again, she has this word of caution for it gets banded about as being a cure for depression but she says, no, it's, it, it's something that can help and enrich our lives. But for something that's as complex, you know, any kind of mental health issues are far too complex to be able to be, quote unquote, cured. Um, but very quickly, because I mentioned foreboding, joy and relief and tranquility at the beginning. Not got many notes on these, but foreboding joy is quite interesting because it ties back into what you just said about being a bit more aware in the moment of good things that are happening. Just foreboding joy is that sense of feeling vulnerable and not wanting to allow ourselves to experience joy because of that moment that I forget what she calls it now, like a, a shudder of vulnerability you get in the midst of feeling joy. It's that sort of sense of foreboding that it's that we're going to lose it, that it's all going to go away. So we get a bit scared of making ourselves vulnerable by experiencing joy. But she says what's important when you feel that sense of vulnerability, that shudder in the midst of feeling joy. That's the moment when you practice gratitude. And she tells a, a story about her daughter taking picture memories. I think she was out on a boat on a lake or something and her daughter just sort of leaned back and closed her eyes and she asked her what she was doing and she said she was taking picture memories something you know when she experiences in the moment this sense of well she described it as happiness but Brene Brown said no this you know that was absolute joy she would close her eyes and take a picture memory so that she could keep it with her for times when she was feeling sad. And I won't go into any detail about relief and tranquility, mostly because my time ran out for making notes. But there was one interesting thing that she said about relief. And we all we all know what that sense of relief feels like it. But um, she defined it. She was quoting somebody else and I forgot to write down who it was. But it's 
when feelings of tension leave the body, being able to breathe more easily and thoughts that the worst is over, we're safe for the moment, we rest and then we want to get on to something else. That's what relief feels like. And she says that quite often you sigh with relief, you know, you breathe out. It's like, <sighs> but, and this is the interesting part, actually physically doing that, sighing that long breath out can help calm your system, can help. It's a bit like that upward spiral with joy and gratitude, actually breathing that way. And I guess that's why there are so many breathing exercises like that, aren't there? Where you breathe in through your nose and then it's a longer exhale. It's all very calming to your system. It activates the parasympathetic nervous system. So it's that exhale is calming, inhale is excitatory. It's bringing energy in and this is calming the system. Yes, yeah, so I thought that was a, a nice little helpful tip. I couldn't remember whether she spoke about it or whether it was just a thought that came to me. And it was obviously just a thought that came to me because she didn't speak about it. But as I was thinking... I think when I first read this chapter, I was very aware of those kind of feelings when I was swimming in the sea. And I, you know, as, as you know, we've spoken a lot, haven't we, about dopamine. And I'm very interested in that, the, the cold water and all these different ways you're firing off dopamine and serotonin. You know, I, I tell people about the, the real magic source for me was combining it with early morning light and the cold water. It's not very cold at the moment, but and just the, the environment, being in nature and everything that goes around that bit of exercise, coffee, all these different things that, are, you know, firing off some dopamine. But then and you talk about I think it maybe it was um, one of your presentations on dopamine. It might have been the, you know, the whole dopamine serotonin balancing act. But my long winded way of getting to the point here was that I started becoming very aware of the difference between dopamine and serotonin and getting what I was thinking of as serotonin hits when I was in the water and feeling these moments of joy and gratitude and you could feel them escalating. And it was that, to take it back to the beginning with her definition of connecting with something bigger than yourself and for for me you know yes that's the connecting with nature connecting with the environment that you're in the, the thing that's bigger than yourself when you're floating in the sea and looking at the horizon and the sunshine and everything that goes with it but I was really aware of how these things feed off each other and this upward positive spiral I think for me, the biggest takeaway that I got from this chapter, and I think in some way, you know, I may be seeking this when I read things, it was affirmation for a way that I have interpreted something in my life. And now she put words to it and gave me another way to think about it. I think as a psychologist, everyone always wants to talk about being happy. 
not happy in my life. The question always is, are you happy? Are you happy Mm. now? Are you happy with your life? And I know whenever I've answered that or when I think about it, I don't actually look at, am I happy? I What I'm describing is more, I'm content. Mm. I think there are moments of happiness. I think there are periods of happiness, but overall a sense of contentment. This life is pretty good. I've got some good things and I'm, I'm happy about that. I'm grateful, you know, bringing in a lot of the things she talked about in this chapter and moments of joy. And even when things are difficult, moments of joy can happen. On some of the worst days, Koa will Mm. do something funny and, you know, you're (laughs) just in that almost, you disconnect from everything else and you're just in that place of joy. And so it just helped to redefine for me that question of happiness. And I think, unfortunately, based on lots of things, my sense of it is that many of us are seeking full-time happiness. Mm. What's when she said about uh, express caution about this pursuit of happiness? Mm-hmm. I think it's because an unrealistic it expectation yeah. that we're going to sit mm. in happiness all the time. But to me, being in a place of contentment, that's a pretty good place to be. And then mm. that involves a good bit of happiness and moments of joy and moments of struggle and sadness and depression and all those other things. But it's just a, to me, it's our use of words and the strength of talking about happiness as an expectation that we will be in all the time, I think leads a lot of us to discontentment because we think we're supposed to be at this higher level of happiness all the time. Mm. Yes. Well, I think that that's something that she seemed to be very wary of because apart from anything else, pursuit of happiness, what does that tend to? It tends to be more material things it's this it's much more external isn't it it's your circumstances it's your environment it's the pursuit of stuff and that's what she was saying that can often come at the cost of missing out and also i think those things are tied to external things or an event is what is responsible for my happiness versus as you mentioned earlier, me doing things, me working at it, me connecting with things differently to create happiness versus expecting it to just come to me, (laughs) be dropped in my lap from these external things. Yeah. And we're so sort of trained to just want more, more, more all the time and everything's great and everything's, whereas this, this much lower level feeling of contentment is is actually what will have more of an impact overall. Absolutely. But yes, yeah, so there you go. Quite a, a nice, a nice chapter. But I think we've got we've got one or two more left in us. Perhaps. I should think. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see where we go, but we're nearly at an end of Brene's book. That's Very right. good book. And I hope everyone has a week filled with moments of joy, some happiness. In a good state of contentment. Yeah. Look out for them. That's right. <laughs> Celebrate them. Practice gratitude and you'll get into that joy gratitude spiral. I think that's an upward spiral that we could all do with being in. I hope you have a very wonderful week. You too, Daisy. Take good care, everybody. Bye.